This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, and he's out in the country. You've got a beautiful background going there, partner. You're going to have to answer for that when we get, get to you uh, on the show here. But uh, listen, today uh, I want to also talk to, to AJ about uh, the ongoing series of, of, of articles that he's done, and uh, some questions are popping up out of it. Partner, I, I want your explanation about where you are today. It looks so beautiful back there. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, up, uh, as we call it in Wisconsin, I'm up north. Uh, we... Uh, came up to uh, the in-laws have a place up here in uh, in northern wisconsin so we came up here for the week gonna be you know we my wife and i kind of figured if you got to work from home anyway you might as well work from home up here for a week so uh the kiddos get to spend some time with their grandparents we get to work uh with you know a beautiful backdrop behind us so uh you know, kind of a, a fun little thing to do and, and spend some extra time up here. Well, it looks great, man. Enjoy it. But uh, listen, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about before we get into our continuing series of uh, segments. And one of them is, you know, there's a three-on-three fledgling hockey league concept that is being floated around. And in recent days, we've heard that a couple of ex-NHLers, uh, John LeClaire, Guy Carboneau, they're involved in the coaching ranks on this side of this thing. And uh, we've seen how the NBA has tried it with some level of success with uh, recently retired players in, in their three-on-three offshoot. And it's been pretty exciting, but I can't wait to see what the hockey version looks like because we both rave about the overtime concept and the three-on-three that we see there. So I think this could be a heck of a lot of fun and a great way for us to see some of the older players who might want to hang around for a little bit, or maybe some exceptional skilled players who aren't quite good enough for the NHL, but they look good in this three-on-three concept. What say you about this idea? Yeah, I mean, one of the most exciting things uh, in hockey right now is three-on-three, and who doesn't love to watch, you know, former uh, former players that, that you love uh, keep playing? And obviously, you know, one of the things about hockey that 
takes a toll is is the contact, right? Um, and by no means am I suggesting we get rid of that. I love that part of the game, but if in a three on three, you're mostly going to eliminate contact like that, which will let you know some of the, some of these older guys play a little bit longer. Um, the other thing I would point to is uh, up in Minnesota, they got that Debuty League, and now that's current NHL players, um, but that's been really popular during the summer um, for fans to go and watch. And so I, I picture this in a very similar vein. Um, and I think you're going to get a lot of people that really tune into it. And I, look, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody wants to put it on TV either, because it's it's going to be a great product, I think. Fast, uh, fantastic hockey, guys that you still want to keep watching. Uh, and, and, you know, probably be in the, in maybe in like the off season, right? When you, you don't have hockey anyway. So I, th- I think it'll be a great product. Well, and I've reached out to the princi- some of the principals there, and I think we're going to be able to get some somebody on our show to talk about this down the road. So something for our listeners to uh, look forward to in a few weeks, hopefully. And AJ, now that uh, getting back to our show and the, and the two features that we do, of course, we do the redrafts of prior drafts, and today we'll do the 2007 draft. So we're going quite a ways back in time, and we have almost the players' full careers now to use as an evaluation of our respective picks but it's the other half of the, se- the show that I want to focus on of course where you continue your outstanding work in researching the salary issues with a, l- a lot of the clubs as we approach uh, that period of the year where a lot of teams are going to have to really juggle things to keep keep their salary tack- cap intact and looking good uh, there's a challenge because the cha- cap's going to be flat and it's really that, that aspect I want to ask you about you know there's a few player, quite a few players, including some really name recognition guys like Taylor Hall, that we're hoping to hit really big home runs uh, this off season. But with the COVID environment and the flat cap, some teams are going to be hard pressed even to manage their current rosters. So, what is the landscape for for a guy like him? Let's say, do you think he can hit a home run in, in this free agency period, or might he be well advised to take a short term deal and get as much as he can from wherever he can? and then reload when things get back to normal. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is uh, I, I, I do think we're going to see a depressed market here. You know, you look at a guy like, you know, he's, he's no Taylor Hall, but you look at Ryan Reeves signed a two-year contract extension uh, yesterday, and he took a million dollars less per year. Now, uh, you know, some people will just say, well, he's two years older. He's, you know, mid-30s and, you know, now. But I, I think that still speaks to the where the market's going to be. I think we're going to see two things. Guys who are on winning teams uh, or teams that have a chance are going to be willing to take less money because they're going to say, hey, I guess I could cash in in free agency, but I'm going to be playing for Ottawa. Like, no offense to our Senators fans out there, but this is a bad team and it's still going to be a bad team next year. Um, you know, and so that's your option. You, you There will be a handful of clubs that will be able and willing to offer you um, big, you know, market value contracts under normal circumstances. But if you want to play for a good team, um, I think you're going to see guys like this who take a significant pay cut compared to where they were previously. You know, we saw Halak took, uh, it wasn't as much, but uh, Yaroslav Halak took about $500,000 less to stay with Boston as the backup there. He's getting more games now than probably ever before. And so I, I think that's what you're going to see with this kind of depressed value. I think uh, guys are going to have that choice. Do I go somewhere where I can get paid what I want, uh, but potentially have to play with a bad team? Or am I willing to take less on a shorter term deal? I know it kind of got, for lack of a better term, poo pooed by, uh, you know, the powers that be out there. But I think Taylor Hall would be best suited 
to sign a one-year contract, you know, where he can take, you know, still get six, seven million on one year, play it out, and then go and get that closer to eight, nine, ten million deal that he wants. Yeah, I think that's likely what what's going to take place for the big boys in, the, in this free agent market. But uh, the lesser lights like Ryan Reeves might you might see a whole bunch of people doing that just to stay in the league and continue to extend their careers. And I don't see any long-term deals in this environment for sure. And AJ, uh, we continue with the series of teams that you're looking at in this uh, salary cap uh, series that we're doing. And of the three teams today, there's one team that really has uh, a lot of money to spend. And I don't know how they're going to go about uh, getting into that free agent pool, but looking forward to seeing what you think about uh, that club and then a couple uh, a couple of others are more tight against the cap and we're seeing a lot of teams in that in that space so uh, looking forward to seeing how things shake out in in our analysis and revelations today when we talk about these three clubs we're looking at today at the nashville predators the ottawa Senators, and new jersey devils and uh why don't you take us into that uh, that uh, scenario uh, for each of the clubs and we'll get rolling here yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, before we do that, as always, just remind our listeners that if you have questions about, you know, dynasty picks, fantasy hockey, or any sort of hockey topics in general, if you're gearing up for your playoff pools, now that we have a better idea what that's looking like, we would love to help answer those questions for you. As Paul said, uh, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. So starting with the Nashville Predators, uh, you've got, you know, really a, a pretty good team in a, in a pretty good spot. They've got uh, 10 forwards, six defensemen, and two goaltenders under contract next season for just over $72 million. Again, with our flat $81.5 million cap scenario, leaves them with about uh, $9.2 million in cap space and seven spots to fill. Look, the most interesting thing, I think, looking at this team uh, is when you get to restricted free agents, there aren't any here for this team. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, mostly just uh, uh, UFA guys for them and, and where they are in their situation. And I think that speaks a little bit uh, to their the age of this club. You know, it, it rounds out about 28.9 is, a, is the average age of the team. And I think that just speaks to the fact that they're they're a veteran team, but they're not an old team. Um, you look at their current roster, they only have one guy who's over 30. Uh, Kyle Terrace comes in at 30, Craig Smith at 30, and then Nick Benino is, is 32 in, in terms of the forward complement. They have a couple guys in Yannick Weber and Corbinian Holzer who are uh, over that mark as well. So it's it's a veteran team, but not an old team, which is is really good. Obviously, I forgot about Pekka Rene, who's, who's 37. He kind of tips the scales there for this team in, in terms of age. But um, so with that, I guess there's no reason to really dive into that. We'll go straight to the unrestricted free agents. Um, just an interesting scenario with this team. Uh, those guys you're looking at are Mikhail Granlund, Craig Smith, Colin Blackwell, Dan Hamhuis, Corbinian Holzer, who I just mentioned, and Yannick Weber. Um, for me, Hamhuis is a, is a solid defensively minded player, but when you have guys like Holzer, Weber, and a, a youngster like Jared Tornini able to slot in as that bottom pairing defenseman. I don't think you need to retain Ham Hughes for, for a long-term deal here uh, or even you know beyond one year. Uh, uh, 37 years old, uh, I missed him in, in my age breakdown as well. So he's on the back half of his career. 
Uh, if they're worried about youngsters progressing, you know, that would be a reason to keep him. But they do also have Steve Santini, who spent the year buried in the minors. Um, although, I, you know, I think a buyout of that contract could be on on the table as well. And then, you know, they've got a, another guy in Alexander Carrier, who's no doubt looking for a bigger role. Um, so if they went, you know, Carrier, they could do maybe that buyout of Santini. Then maybe you could even keep Holzner or Weber. Um, I just think it's it's maybe time to move on with, with other guys here. Um, Weber maybe being the only one on that blue line that I would retain of these three guys. So to, to recap, Hamhuis gone, Holzler gone. I would maybe keep Weber and bring up uh, you know Alex Carrier as, as some of your options. In terms of the forwards, you know, Granlin's numbers were solid this season, 30 points in 63 games, but that's nowhere near the 60-point producer he was with Minnesota. Uh, if he's willing to take a reduced salary, which we talked about at the top, could be a possibility. Uh, I think they can probably figure out how to uh, make it work. But otherwise, I think a, a, with the flat cap, they're going to have to let him go. Uh, Smith is producing in a, in a similar vein right now at, at this point in their career and is significantly cheaper. I think you could get him under contract for one year, about $4.5 million, um, and then he can cash in maybe next year. Uh, when when the the cap will hopefully go back up and that'll leave you enough room to get blackwell under contract he shouldn't cost you anything more than about eight hundred thousand to slot in as your 13th or 14th forward so uh paul kind of the big two questions here do you think it's an either or for granlin or smith and then a guy like ham Hughes, do you keep him around or is there enough kind of guys coming through the chain to to warrant uh moving on from him well let's deal with the forwards first in my opinion uh we look at craig smith he's a lifer here in nashville and has enjoyed the whole of his career with the predators or at least the most productive part of it in recent years and i think he's going to want to find a way to stick around and uh, if he can get around the 4.2 that he currently got i think it'll be a quick discussion Grandlin is one of those situations like the one of taylor hall we talked about off the top this is a guy almost in the high rent district here for the uh, nashville predators uh, came over from uh, minnesota at where he starred for a while and uh, he has fallen off that pace a little bit and you mentioned the scoring totals last year i don't see there's any way that he gets anywhere close to the 5.75 that he got last year so if this guy's willing to take a haircut to stay here that's the only way that that happens otherwise he can test the waters but i don't think there's going to be anybody that pay, pays up to get him a, at the money that he earned last year he, he has to sign a prove it deal a one-year deal is what i think is in store for him and i think it, it could be even in the neighborhood of four million dollars it's that kind of a, almost a two million dollar drop that i forecast for him and uh, i don't know if you want to squeeze both those guys in here you eat up most of the the cap space that they have so really it's an either or and uh, it'll depend on what kind of a haircut granlin takes and uh, the level of loyalty the management feels to smith a guy like smith it'll be a choice but between those aspects and those players colin blackwell you mentioned uh, a simple re-up from uh, six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars uh, maybe a marginal increase to make it 700 grand but it's not going to be anything that tips the scales in their salary cap issues and you mentioned he would be like a fourth line winger anyway so if they don't get him they'll fill in the blank they'll get a guy like you or me for that m- amount of money to <laughs> fill in that role aj uh it's the defense that kind of intrigues me though because this has been uh, the centerpiece of this team for years they have had uh, the trio of ellis josie and ekholm 
for the last few years. They're both, all three of them are in the, around the th age 30 mark, and uh, two of them are signed for the next six years beyond the, this season. And then Eckholm had a very team-friendly 3.75 for the next three, two years after this one. So that's the big three looked after. And then Dante Fabro, an up-and-coming guy at 9.25, and Jared Tenorti, a very physical guy looking to try and fill a bottom bottom pairing role. That's five spots filled in. Ham Hughes would need to take a bit of a, a chop in salary from the 1.25 if he wants to extend his career. That's really his call at heading into his age 38 season. If they pivot away from him, Holzer and Weber are two veteran guys that won't cost them big money either. And I, I think they've done enough in the, the Nashville system to inspire some confidence that they can be part of the bottom part of this uh, roster mix. So they've got a pretty good situation on the blue line. I do think uh, the, the only question mark that I see is Ham Hughes on defense and really a coin flip about what they do among the forwards. So that's the way I read it uh, from the professional part of the roster. Well, then we'll talk about just a couple of minor league guys who, who played in that, that NHL game, that kind of threshold that, uh, that we've had throughout this series. You're looking at Yakov Trenin, Daniel Carr, and Anthony Richard. Um, in 47 appearances this season, Carr led the Milwaukee Admirals in both goals and points, so no doubt they're going to want to keep him around um, on a two-way contract. Potentially, maybe they would even consider a one-way for him based on uh, his production this last year. Uh, I would peg it at around two years, 1.6 million gets the job done for, for both sides of the equation there. On the other hand, you got a guy like Richard, just 23 points in 60 outings. He should be happy with his qualifying offer and, and call it a day. You know, I think what you do with Trennan depends on how they approach Granlin, Smith and Blackwell. If they let a guy like Blackwell leave, that could open up a spot for Trennan um, on the roster. But I would expect something similar to about, you know, 750, 800K for him, uh, you know, to get get that done. So not a, a lot of heartburn there among among those guys. You know, everybody else that's an RFA for this group in the in the minor league system should be happy with qualifying offers. Paul, were there any other minor uh, minor league guys you want to talk about here? Well, I, I'm looking at the goalie situation, AJ. In addition to the players that you highlighted, we look at the at the big club, and Pecorine is getting up there in age thir uh, 38 uh, is the age that he's going into this season, his 30, age 38 campaign. And the numbers fell off a little bit last year, and you see uh, Saros really closed the ranks in terms of the uh, the disparity between the number one and number two. He had a pretty fi fine season for them. Uh, numbers aren't not, not too far off of what the number one guy did. So, But they need to find some insurance in the minors, and I believe that's still in the hands of Troy Grosnick, who is heading into a UFA situation uh, coming off a year where he earned 700 k And if you believe that the 30-year-old is the third best goalie, he's going to need to be re-upped. So in addition to the players that you named, that's a key guy. Uh, of the guys that you mentioned in the minors currently uh, who had some ex NHL experience, look, at, I've been impressed by Daniel Carr. He's one of those fireplug guys who's a pest to play against and that's his game and uh, it seems every roster uh, should have a guy like that who kind of stirs things up and I think Carr 
is the guy in Nashville, and he is my candidate for that 13th player among the forwards. So I, I'd like to see them re-sign him just based on what I've seen of him uh, career to date. Failing that, uh, Frederick Cadreau is another guy that has been around for a while. He's heading into the age 28 season, has been a bottom six guy throughout. And uh, so if you believe they're the top two guys, it'll be a battle between the two of them. And uh, you can make the case for both being re-signed because you'll still need team leaders in the Admirals lineup too. Well, as far as final thoughts go, I, I kind of alluded to, to this before. They, they spent the year with Steve Santini buried in the minors. And, uh, you know, the cap hit on that is, is not is not that significant, but I think they'd actually be better off um, buying out his contract and, and, and going that route. It would save them about $1.3 million in terms of cap space. Uh, if they think he can make the grade and, and actually be a guy on this team, then, then certainly um, I, his cap hit is not such that it he's not worth it. Um, you know, it's a little high maybe, but... Um, I think they need to decide whether or not he's an NHL player for them uh, or not. And if not, then go the buyout route. So that's um, kind of all that I have left on him. Paul, did you have any final thoughts about the Nashville Predators? Yeah, I do. And that's an, another youngster who hasn't really made the grade there. And that's Eli Tovinen and uh, a defenseman who was drafted high in his draft year, but hasn't really shown anything in the NHL yet. But he has been a guy who has impressed somewhat in the Milwaukee Admirals situation and I wonder if they pivot away from him but uh, boy it's off he's still in the entry level part of his career I'd like to see them take a longer look and see what they might have or actually he's a left winger I'm sorry I think I said defenseman but uh, he is a guy that had a pretty nice junior career and uh, in Finland and and uh, maybe there's something there so that's the only other name that I could think of being a challenger for a position he's still in that entry level portion of his contract so I'd like to see him get a shot at the big club because I think there's something there. All right. Well, the next team we covered last week uh, was the New Jersey Devils. Um, you know, obviously uh, they were uh, big names at the at the trade deadline this year uh, with you know with guys like Taylor Hall and and a couple others that they sent around the league. So that really frees up some space for them next year. Um, they've got eight forwards, four defensemen, one goaltender under contract next season, coming in at a, sh a shade over $53 million. The club is also on the hook for $1.7 million of Michael Camilleri's buyout. And then they are still paying uh, $250,000 in, uh, in terms of cap recapture penalty from Ilya Kovalchuk's contract. Um, so kind of some interesting uh, situations coming up there. Obviously, Kovalchuk back in the NHL now, but still that uh, that's pretty minor cap hit uh, penalty there. Leaves them with about $26 million in cap space and 10 spots to fill under that 23-man roster. Looking at our restricted free agents off the top, you've got Joey Anderson, John Hayden, Jasper Bratt, Mirko Mueller, and Mackenzie Blackwood. So a little bit of everything, forwards, blue line, and net minding. Look, I don't think they should have any problems uh, in Hayden and Anderson signing for their qualifying offers. Uh, those guys haven't really done enough in, in terms of NHL uh, experience to warrant any more than that. Uh, Brat, for his money, has hit the 30-point mark uh, in each of his first three seasons, and has um, that's despite having only played 70 games uh, in one of those. I think if he could play a full 82-game season, 
he's uh, a guy that's capable of pushing for 40 points. Uh, the contract that I looked at that I thought might be a fair starting point was Jared McCann's two-year uh, deal that he signed is is a pretty fair two-year, $2.25 million contract in July of 2018. Given the amount of cap space uh, that New Jersey does have, I think this might be one point where you would consider a longer-term deal this, this offseason. And it's something in like a five-year three million annual contract that would see him uh getting paid more than some teammates like miles wood and pavel zaka those guys have not produced the same level of consistency as brat so i think that's really um a fair comparison for the devils you know the problem that they have is that their blue line depth is is really rather thin so i think they have to keep mueller around at the, at this point um, you know, despite the fact that he doesn't really offer much on the offensive side of the puck, um, you know, even if the team keeps a guy like Freddie Clayson, and we'll talk about him later, I don't think they want to go into opening night with David Quinville and Colton White uh, rounding out their third pairing. So you could give Mueller a qualifying offer that would be equal to the one-year, $1.4 million, um you know, contract deal that he, that he signed. Now, the kind of caveat with that is those qualifying offers are two-way. So if they were able to tell Mueller, hey, we'll give you a one-way contract, but we're only going to offer you 1.2, um, that certainly might be something that they could do and, and get under contract there. Um, finally, talking about the net mining, I've brought this deal up before, but I think in terms of bridge deals, Matt Murray really set the market uh, back in 2016 with it was a three-year 1.25 million dollar deal he had won a stanley cup at this point um, but was still somewhat new and untested in terms of carrying the load as a full number one so i think blackwood um you know will be that'll be kind of a threshold for him i don't think he's topping that obviously he's got just one season as a starter no playoff experience but i think a three-year deal in the nine million dollar range would be fair to both sides it you know it kind of gives him a significant bump they're not committing overly long term here and it also would give them kind of the ability to move past Corey schneider's deal and then you know the last year of blackwood if he signed a three-year contract the last year of that deal would be the first year potentially without Corey schneider and then they could sign him uh, to a longer term deal there so paul um you know a little bit of everything here what do you see the market being for those three guys in Brat, Mueller, and Blackwood. Well, I think you're you're pretty much spot on. That to me, Brat seems to be the guy that that you want to spend a little bit more to keep around. Uh, the other guys shouldn't cost you as much. Uh, they're more fringe types, and I'm interested to see how that negotiation goes because they have a situation where they're among the teams that has the most money to spend in free agency. AJ, one of the two teams that we're looking at that fill. Uh, the bottom rankings in the league in terms of money to spend. So uh, the, the Senators and the Devils, two teams to watch. But it'll be interesting to see how they spend that cash. And it's also worth noting that they have two ugly contracts on this roster, which if they could shed them, they'd even have more flexibility. I'm talking about P.K. Subban and Corey Schneider eating up $15 million between the two of them. Can you imagine the money they had to be, throw, be able to throw around if they could get rid of one or both of those contracts? But, uh, of course, the key negotiation beyond Brad 
that centers around Mackenzie Blackwood. It's clear that to me that he's the goalie of the future here. He showed more than enough in his time there to date and coming off his entry level deal, going to be getting the big raise. And I think you kind of find your way to, to spending uh, on, big on, on him more than any other player on this roster. He's so central to, to what they're trying to turn things around with in, in New Jersey. So I think you could see three and a half even uh, on the annual uh, average salary for him on a longer term deal if he should go that route. Um, so take us on to the rest of the roster, bud. All righty. So unrestricted free agents, um, you're looking at Kevin Rooney, Frederick Clayson, Dakota Mermis, and Brian Strait. Look, the two easy decisions here are Strait, who spent the entire year on season opening injured reserve, and Mermis, who managed just 19 points in 53 minor league contests. Both guys, I think, should be able to walk in free agency, and that's assuming Strait doesn't just outright retire um, due to some injury concerns there. In terms of Clayson and Rooney, you're talking about fringe lineup guys who I think are decent enough to keep on the 23-man roster, uh, even if they're not going to be playing every night, because I don't think you have to overpay them. Both guys were making uh, $700,000 against the cap this year. I think you offer them uh, $800,000 on on one-year deals. That's a bump in pay for them. Uh, It allows you to go into you know, having your most likely healthy scratch guys not eating up a lot of money, especially, you know, we talked about they have a ton of space, right? But they're also, to what you said, Paul, they're going to be paying Corey Schneider six million bucks to sit on the bench every night. So, um, you know, you need a couple guys like this who are capable when they're needed uh, in terms of injuries popping up, but they're not going to cost you much. Um, So, Paul, unless you really have something you want to say about those four guys, I can just lead us into some of those minor league options for you. Yeah, I think you go for it, buddy. I I, I think we covered off the key contract issues on 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 the big club pretty thoroughly. Yeah, absolutely. So your minor league free agents who got into an NHL game this year, you're looking at Nicholas Merkley, uh, Brett Senny, Brian Street, not to be confused with Strait. Uh, that was a little bit Street and Strait was a little confusing when writing this article. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Colton White and Joshua Jacobs. Uh, look, overall, not a lot of hard decisions here. Merkley, Senny, White, and Jacobs are all restricted free agents who I think can be handled their qualifying offer that keeps them under contract for one more year. Uh, if there's a guy that I would maybe consider uh, giving more than a qualifying offer, it's it's Brett Senny. Um, you know, he scored a team high 19 goals for, you know, for the Binghamton Devils this season. Um, if Street wants to keep playing, uh, you know, this is a very veteran guy. Um, but I think he's worth having around a minor league locker room. So another one to two year two way contract with the Devils, I think, is fair there as well. So, I, you know, I don't really think there's much. Um, you're going to have to do here. White, uh, I think, will compete at, uh, during training camp for a roster spot, but whether he gets it or not uh, remains to be seen. So, Paul, what do you think about the free agents here, or uh, uh, minor leaguers here? Rather? I, I like the calls you made on Street and Merkley. Merkley is a guy that I made the Team Canada junior, so I followed him his junior career pretty closely relative some, to some of the other prospects, more than some of the other prospects here. And I'd like to see him get a shot here, AJ. He's proven to be a capable scorer in the minor leagues, and the Devils are scoring challenged. So that's a guy to keep your eye on in terms of seeing him possibly get a shot with the big club. And I think you could also say the same for Street, a guy who's been a capable scorer at the minor league level. When you look at his record, you see that he got 42 points in 49 games for the Binghamton Devils last season even. He only had a cup of coffee three games and only one point 
point for the big club, though. So those are the two guys that you highlighted. I second the notion that they could be the players that threaten for a position uh, from big club in terms of players that need to be re-signed. So good on you for your analysis here of this club. And I think their challenge, AJ, if I can start with the future look beyond what we've talked about here, they've got to really think about spending their money wisely and not blowing their brains out on any one free agent, but kind of sprinkling whatever they have left. I, I think they're in a, an enviable situation because they're one of the clubs that has excess cap, cap money this offseason. And if they can improve marginally at a few different positions, say get a couple of guys in here around 1.7 to 1.9, you're going to outbid a lot of clubs for some pretty quality players. So I think that's the play here rather than blow your brains out and add to the, to the two big contracts that we highlighted in Devil's situation. What do you think about that strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, based on kind of the numbers here, you're looking at about 13 million uh, available in in cap space. You can get uh, a couple things that they need here because they could use a top six winger. You could certainly get a guy in there. You could uh, a bottom six center, I think, could help. Uh, And then some defensive depth. I don't think they need to really pay up um, big. You know, one thing to always consider is, is contracts that need to be signed in the future. But Jack Hughes doesn't need a new deal for another two years. And, oh, at the same time that he needs a new contract, you're going to have $9 million available from P.K. Subban's deal running out. So you can pretty much just pencil that money in. You know, P.K.'s money to Jack Hughes. Uh, pretty much put that down on paper there. So um, I, I think you're right. They're in a good situation. They've already got Nico Heischer's long-term future locked up. Um, you know, he's signed for seven more seasons after this one. And so I think they're good to go here. Um, and to that end, we'll be good to go on to the Ottawa Senators. Um, you know, this is a team that is, you know, I, I hate to just keep saying this. I feel bad for the fans there, but this is a team that has been and continues to be, for lack of a better term, a dumpster fire uh, in, in how that all goes. They're um, in a situation where I think they're going to struggle to hit the cap floor, if I'm being perfectly honest here. Um, and the organization has already said that, that they're going to be looking for potentially signing um, some free agents to one-year deals, guys that maybe could be traded uh, at the deadline for some sort of value as they try and really build towards the future. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see them go into the season if, hey, look, they could end up with uh, the first and second overall pick, and those guys, Lafreniere and whoever they would take, you know, maybe Tim, uh, Tim Stultz, um, those guys could end up on the opening night roster just as a way to fill out um, the situation. So looking at it, they've got five forwards, four defensemen, two goaltenders under contract for next season at a price tag of about $40.5 million, though that does include $4.8 million for Marion Gabrick, which will obviously be recouped for via long-term injured reserve if they need to. I'll be perfectly frank. I don't I was running the numbers here. Unless they really spend up a lot, they may not put Marion Gabrick on long-term IR just so his cap hit counts to help them get the floor here. Um, they are still on the hook for about $1.3 million from Dion Phaneuf's buyout, the contract that simply will not go away. Um, ultimately, that's going to leave them with about $40 million in cap space but 13 spots to fill. And they've got a big restricted free agent group here. Um, you've got Chris Tierney, Connor Brown, Anthony Duclair, Jace Hollerick, Rudolph Balsers, Nick Paul, and Andreas Anglin. Uh, I think while Hollerick, Balsers, Paul, and Anglin have all logged some NHL time, 
none of them have really done enough to warrant more than a qualifying offer. Now, the one caveat I will put on that is that if the team really is in a situation where they're trying to hit the cap floor, they could overpay these guys a little bit just for the sake of doing it. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea. I think they're better off giving them their qualifying offer, but they have money to spend and there is a requirement to get to about 62 million uh, in, in cap spending here. So we'll see how all that shakes out. Uh, if there's a guy from that group that I think could warrant a one-way deal, I think it's Paul who got 20 points in 56 uh, games in the minors this, this season. Um, a two-year, $1.8 million contract for him would, would be a, a pay bump with a little bit of term on that. Um, you know, Duclair has been a guy that has bounced around the league and, and really struggled to find somewhere that he fits well. Um, but I think he has here in Ottawa. And since he joined the Senators, uh, he's got 31 goals, 23 helpers in 87 games. And this has really been the biggest success of his career. He's only 24 years of age. So I think a four year deal uh, would lock him in at a kind of a longer term. I would peg him at just over three million, three point two five. And that puts him pretty much on par with uh, Alex Kerfoot and what he signed with Toronto back um, in July of 2019. Brown's numbers over his career are very similar to those of Duclair. So I would expect him to be in a similar four year, $14 million range. And then Tierney is, is a valuable guy as a second to third line player. I think you certainly want to keep him around. Um, he has two seasons in which he's hit the 40 point mark and, and likely would have this year as well. So I think he will get the largest pay uh, increase of these three guys. And I think a five year, $20 million contract that pushes him, you know, just two or above that 4 million AAV uh, is certainly fair. And again, to my point is they, if they want to overpay these guys to help hit the cap floor, they're certainly capable of doing so. So Paul, uh, in, in a normal circumstance, I, I'll stop banging the, the echo chamber here on the fact that they could overpay, um, in a normal circumstance, normal year. Uh, what do you think about these contract offers specifically for Tierney Brown and Duclair? Do you think I'm on the mark here? Do you think these guys have shown enough to earn more or not enough to get paid less? I think they've shown enough to earn more. I just have a different ranking than you. I'll I'll share my thoughts on each of them. I think Anthony Duclair is the game breaker among this trio. I think you'll even admit that in terms of the scoring talents that he's flashed with the opportunity he's been given. So I think he's the the lowest paid of the three right now, but he could wind up being the highest paid when all is said and done. That's how high I am on this guy, knowing that I think he got his, his head straight and and his skill set shone through very brightly last year and I'm excited for him and his future and I think the senator should be as well he's the youngest of this group so I could see them really going hard to get him on a longer term deal say in the four million dollar range Connor Brown to me has emerged as a team leader here look and I have nothing bad to say about this guy saw what a good soldier he was in Toronto and how he gave up some of the uh, offensive side of his game to fit into a more defensive posture it was to his peril in Toronto because I think he was a very complete player who sacrificed to stay on this roster and fill a bottom six role when I think he could have been well suited to a top six situation like he's found himself with Ottawa so good for him for uh, for flipping the switch again and showing the offensive side of his game he's going to get paid almost double what he made last year at the 2.1 million I think he could approach four million a year on a three four year deal Tierney for me is is a guy that uh, should be a top 
to uh, center here on this club, but I don't think I want to blow my brains out and pay him any more than three and a half a year. You mentioned Kerfoot's contract. I think that's a very good comparable in my estimation for his services, and I think you get him for three and a half on a three-year deal that you shouldn't go in too much higher than that for, the, for this guy. So they're going to spend up on each of these guys and eat up some of the excess capacity, but they still have lots of money to throw around to other players. You mentioned the likes of uh, Horaluk and Balsers. Balsers, to me, is, is the best of the other three that you mentioned, Balsers and Paul. Uh, Balsers was a point-of-game guy and went healthy in the minor leagues last year, and I think he has the offensive upside to fit into a top-six role if he gets the chance on the big club. Paul had had a chance last year to play bottom six minutes. I think that's about his ceiling there. So both of them need to be re-upped off, uh, off entry-level deals. And uh, I think Balsers could be the one that comes closer to a million, a million two per season on a, on a short-term deal there. Well, we'll dive into those unrestricted free agents. And it's another big group here. You've got uh, in the forwards, you've got uh, Miko Boddicker, Matthew Pekka, Scott Sabrin, uh, defensively, Ron Hainsey in the Nets, Craig Anderson. And then you do also have some guys who uh, spent some time on IR this year in Mark Borowicki, Ryan Callahan, and Clark MacArthur. Like I mentioned Callahan and MacArthur because they are technically unrestricted free agents, but both guys have uh, have retired, if not officially yet, due to medical reasons. So they um, will obviously not uh, be back with the organization beyond this year. I think... Uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the, the blue line here, I don't know that Hainsey wants to come back and, and play for this team again in, into his 40s. And so um, even if they want to sign him, which I, they may or may not, I, I think he's the, still got maybe a year left, uh, a year or two left that he could provide a value in a, in a locker room uh, and on the ice. But I'm not sure he's going to want to come back to this, uh, you know, this team. Uh, but if they wanted to, certainly a, a one-year deal could make it make that work. You know, with Anders Nilsson kind of starting to emerge as a number one, and then the ongoing development of Marcus Hogberg, I think Anderson will also be looking for a new home this year if he wants to continue playing as well. Both those guys have um, some choices to make as to as to their future here. Boddicker, for his money, uh, just recently signed with a club uh, over in Switzerland, so he will be gone next year as well. And that really just leaves you uh, with, you know, Matthew Pekka and Scott Sabering in, in terms of what to do. Both guys had injuries this year and struggled to get into the lineups. Um, I would, if if this was a team that was going to compete uh, it, next season, I might suggest letting both the guys hit the the open market and, and see what else you can do. But, um, you know, they're, they're capable bottom four players in, in my opinion. So you could probably get them signed for relatively minimal raises on one year deal and bolster their depth. Um, you know, and I think as far as Borowicki, um, it's going to depend on how you feel about guys like Eric Branstrom, Max LaJoy, Christian Yaros, and whether you think their development is such that you can move on from him. Uh, and so that that'll be a big question for them. I think they'd be better suited to let their youngsters get some play time and, and to really get some NHL experience. So for me, uh, if I'm running the organization, I'm going to let Borowicki walk. Um, so that's that's kind of my choice there, Paul. Um, again, there's not much uh, to really talk about here once you you know factor in other decisions. But uh, I guess would you keep Craig Anderson around if he wants to come back? Uh, same question about Ron Hainsey 
And then do you think Matthew Pecker or Scott Sabrin is worth uh, hanging around uh, for, you know, kind of minimal um, bumps from their current pay grade? All right. Let me go in order. Uh, you mentioned Craig Anderson and the Nets, age 39, season 4.75 million. Look, they've got Marcus Hogberg uh, on the big club. And also they've got Anders Nilsson, should he come back fully healthy from his uh, concussion issues from last year and I expect so those guys will carry the mail in the nets so I think that's your goaltending tandem going forward you mentioned Mark Borowicki at 1.2 million okay the guy's been in the 50s in terms of games played the last three seasons injury's been a big problem but he's such a heart and soul guy he's the assist one of the assistant captains on the club I think if he can show that he can be healthier for at least three quarters of the season over 60 games I think he gets re-upped uh, at around the 1.3 to 1.5 million just because of his leadership abilities. Uh, you mentioned question marks like uh, Ron Hainsey's situation, 3.5 million for a guy who's heading into his age 40 season. I don't think they want to do that again. I don't think he wants to come back to a situation that looks pretty dire in terms of uh, a competitive situation for him to wind up his career. So he may be back, pack it in, and uh, that means an opportunity for other players on this roster to move up. Uh, you mentioned uh, a few other names there too. Bodker, I'm so happy for him that he managed to sign a contract somewhere else because he wasn't going to get anywhere near the $4 million that he got last year uh, for the performance that he gave. So that frees up spots uh, up front. Matthew Pekka and Sabrin will compete for them. I like the idea of having Sabrin on the roster. I mentioned how I think each team needs one of those agitator guys, and Sabrin certainly fills that role. And to get him uh, at less than a million dollars to do that is going to be something of an advantage for the Senators, too, going forward, because I think he he is a keeper, in my estimation, more than Matthew Pekka. He, Matthew Pekka just hasn't proven to be uh, much of a scorer at the NHL level. They overpaid at $1.3 million for the production that they got out of him last year. So I think he takes a seat behind Sabrin in the pecking order for me. Well, then we'll get into the minor leaguers here with, with an NHL game last year. And you've got Jordan Schwartz, uh, Jean Christophe, or JC, rather, if I want to make my life easier, JC Bodden, uh, Philip Chaplick. And Christian Yaros, uh, you know, Schwartz put together a pretty solid season with 18 goals and, and 18 assists uh, for Belleville this this past season. I think that's enough to earn him a two-way deal running about 850000 Bodden and Yaros, uh, I think, will be handed their qualifying offers. While Chalapik, uh, Chiplik, uh, uh, I'll let you correct me on that one. I, I apologize for Chlapic. not getting that one. You got it right. It was Chalapik. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, he was their their second round pick in, in 2015. I think he's the one guy here that maybe could earn a one way contract and be uh, a full time NHL for NHLer for him. He's going to be part of the core of this club mo- moving forward. Two years, 1.5 million will show a bit of commitment from the club side while also retaining his RFA status at the end of the deal in case he really doesn't live up to expectations. Paul, what say you about this group of minor leaguers? Well, Schwartz is a guy who had 36 points in 46 games, if I'm looking at the numbers correctly here in the minors last year. So he showed a bit of a scoring upside. You might want to pay to keep that around. He's heading into his age 30 season, so he's got some experience too. And uh, if he doesn't make the big club, he'll be one of the team leaders in the minor club as well. So again, I'll harp on that topic for the second time on the show. Schlappick is the best of the rest in the minors for me, AJ, and I think you're right that they got to pay up to keep him around. He's heading into his age 24 season, and I think he should challenge for at, at least a third-line role here, if not better. So those are the two names that jump up to me. Christian Yaros, 
a guy in the minor leagues on the defensive side of the puck who might also be a consideration to re-up. But he's not a big-time scorer, having only achieved 15 points in 34 games. I guess if you extend that over a season, that's a 30-point defenseman at the minor league level. Maybe he challenges for a bottom-pairing role to fill the departure that's created by uh, moving on from Ron Hainsey, if you will. Well, in terms of final thoughts, look, I said this off the top that they they have been very clear uh, in the last you know couple of weeks here that they are not going to be an organization pushing up against the cap, and that they are going to be closer to monitoring the floor. Um, you know, one uh, really intriguing option we've seen this in in the past in in Arizona is they could take on some contracts here. Um, that that organizations want to get rid of for um, you know for some other assets and so that's something that we could see as a, as I said off the top I would not be surprised if Marion Gabrick's contract doesn't end up on LTIR this year just so that they actually have that cap hit to account for um, you know you look to the upcoming draft they've got seven picks in the first two rounds here um, and the potential to go one two I think even if they don't win the Lafiniere lottery. Um, they will build out this roster with some of the guys that they take in the first round uh, specifically and possibly even some of those second rounders. So, um, Paul, do you have any final thoughts on Ottawa or should we get into that uh, 2007 uh, redraft? Well, you know what? I'm going to look at the Senators and the Devils. We've come, uh, it's interesting to profile both clubs today because they're both at the bottom end of the spectrum in terms of salary cap. Uh, commitments to the, heading into the offseason. You mentioned the Senators having seven picks in the first two rounds of the draft. This is an opportunity for most, a lot of those guys to at least get a cup of coffee at the big league level when you consider the openings. But I would kind of rather see them groom some of those talents in the minors and, and take a shot at a couple of uh, the excess players that are going to be in the free agent market. You're not, you already said, though, they've already come out and said they're not going to spend to the top of the cap if there was a team that could go from the outhouse into a higher rent district of the league in a year like this ottawa is well positioned the devils are too and i wonder which of these teams is going to go after some of those mid-range free agents to fill out their roster and move up in the salary cap commitments because you could really position yourself to trade off some of those assets if you go one year a piece on some of those deals in a, in a prove it kind of a situation uh, they could really set themselves up with uh, good returns in those circumstances so uh, it's a shame that Ottawa kind of tipped their hand but the Devils haven't in that regard and I'm hoping that they do spend up uh, a little bit and take advantage of the free size of the free agent pool that exists well yeah then you know just to look ahead to the future um, you know now that we got our, our three teams covered here uh, we'll talk uh, we'll have New York Islanders that'll go up later today on the site St. Louis Blues will be on Thursday and then the Tampa Bay Lightning over the weekend we're getting to a point where we're almost done um, with the Central and and the Atlantic here and so if we wrap those up I think maybe we'll do uh, one week we'll knock out uh, the rest of the Pacific and the other week we'll knock out the Metropolitan. If We'll continue to go by vote here, so we'll see if that holds. But uh, it might be uh, kind of our plan for the future. We'll we'll do those teams this week and, and then go from there. So Tampa's on the horizon. That means the Leafs can't be far behind in that division, AJ, and I can't wait to see what you think about their situation uh, tight against the cap too. But uh, let's pivot away from that uh, continuing series, and congratulations to you on your final 
and work there. I'll, I read the, the columns with interest, and I hope our listeners dive into them because there's a lot of good information there. But it's time for our redraft of the tw- 2007 draft. This is 12 years ago now, 13 years ago now, AJ, and a lot of these guys that have made the grade from this draft have, have gone on to some nice careers, so we have a real good profile on a lot of those players, and it should be pretty easy to pick the forward and uh, defense rankings but boy it was a little thin in terms of the goaltending from this draft class and i'm kind of curious uh, if and when any players get picked from those ranks uh, in, in our draft today but i'm going to go uh, to the top of the board to begin this draft with uh, buffalo native patrick kane he's the only guy from this class that that uh, tops the 1000 point mark we haven't had too many players reach that plateau in prior drafts so i wanted to highlight that today and it's a real big drop off after him to the next highest point getter so i'm happy to snap up patrick kane with the number one pick well paul i I gotta be honest i i was kind of uh glad i didn't have the number one pick here because i i honestly think it's a tough choice and only because you look at the goaltenders in this group i haven't even heard of most of these guys (laughs) um so uh i may have honestly considered if if i had had the first overall pick i may have honestly considered not going with patrick kane just because the net mining here is so thin so to that end i am going to take scott darling second overall here with my pick he went in the sixth round to the phoenix coyotes um and has you know obviously struggled at at points in his career as well but um after him the remaining goaltenders in this draft class have played a combined 22 NHL games. So uh, there was a real possibility if I had had the pick that uh, Scott Darling would have gone first overall. And I'm, I'm happy you made the choice for me. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go with an empty net probably in this draft, AJ. That's, that was my <laughs> answer to that. I, I figured you might go that route, but uh, that's my rebuttal there. Uh, so you pick the goaltender. I'm going to stay with the uh, forward ranks here i think and uh, that means the second best guy in terms of scoring is a guy who have, has been a, a fantasy dar a fantasy uh, pool darling for me for several years jacob voracek he's a guy that's kind of been i'm going to say misused by the flyers he was a top six player most of his career he dropped down to third line status for a while and then wound up second line and they've been pulling this guy all over the roster to me he's a frontline player and his point production of 695 points in 915 games underscores that so uh, i will pad my forward rankings with the pick of jakob voracek well, I'm going to, um, you know, there's some higher point producers here on the wing, but I'm going to bol- take who I would argue was the best center uh, in this draft class, and that's Logan Couture, went ninth overall to San Jose, uh, 715 games so far, 256 goals. And like I said, I think really the best center in this group, and honestly, I would argue um, it's a pretty big drop-off in terms of the center position after uh, Couture. No question about it. Uh, probably the next best is a point is hardly a, a top six player in the league. So good on you for going that route. I'm going to continue to fill out the wing positions here on my roster. Jamie Ben is a guy who was a frontline guy for Dallas, a, a guy almost treated like Voracek a little bit last year when he was bounced around the roster. He has 688 points in this class. The second guy to get over three, uh, 300 or more goals in this class. So uh, I got the top three scorers. I'm happy with that so far. 
Well, you're going to need them because you don't have uh, any net minding. So that's certainly. <laughs> I told certainly... you, empty net, man. <laughs> well, I'll go with I'll go with Max Pacioretty to to start uh, chipping in on on the the winger group here. 280 goals, uh, 274 assists, and really uh, is going to I think see those numbers drastically climb the longer he keeps playing uh, in Vegas. And uh, I like from the St. Louis drafted David Perron, 26th overall in this class, and he's just scratching the surface on, be, on being a scorer that I think he could be, AJ. And I, he's fifth in the, in the class in scoring uh, points with 550, and uh, I'm happy to grab him as another winger. Uh, i got to find somebody to play center with these guys, but the wing position looks pretty strong on my club so far. <laughs> Well, I'm going to hurt your your center options here, and and by taking Kyle Turris uh, next, just to really lock in that middle of the lineup. So, kind of an interesting uh, build here that we're doing. You've got the top wing scores, but I've got the guys anchoring the middle. Um, Kyle Turris has obviously struggled a little bit in in some recent seasons in in Nashville, and I think it's just being miscast there. I think he would uh, do better elsewhere, and and did have really good numbers uh, in Ottawa before that. Well, I'm going to go with uh, Calgary. My, Calgary's pick, Michael Backlund. Uh, he has 365 points, 690 games played, and he's a, been a solid top six guy most of his career, and uh, I think that should continue going forward. So he closes the gap on some of the top scorers in this draft going forward, in my estimation, and uh, he's my first center on this roster. I'm going to go a little bit further down in terms of uh, the draft as it actually went uh, for, for another winger. And I'm going to go with Alexander Kalorn. Uh, I think he's really just starting to find his way in, in Tampa. He was a third-round selection by them, 77th overall. And another guy that I expect to really start climbing uh, this overall you know, ranking moving forward. We have dissed the defensive class uh, of this draft, AJ, and uh, I'm going to go for a guy who's going to be behind the microphone in postgame for most of my, my team's outings, I, I suspect, and a guy who led, leads this scoring in this defense class. His profile has dwindled in the last couple of years, I'll admit that. I'm talking, of course, about P.K. Subban, drafted second. Uh, second round 43rd overall by the Montreal Canadiens and uh, his career trajectory is on a downward slant right now but uh, he's still the best defenseman in this class by my estimation so I'll grab him for my blue line I'm gonna keep holding off on some blue line here and I think it's because there's there's plenty of quality options here but um, nobody that I think really stands out like in the, the class in the 2008 class that we did last time. Uh, and so I'm going to go with Evgeny Dadnov. He's played less games than almost anybody else in this group, just 280. Um, but again, I think there's plenty of time for him to continue climbing the ranks here. Uh, I'm going to go with uh Another defenseman, Ryan McDonough. He was drafted 12th overall. It looks like the Montreal Canadiens picked well in this draft, but uh, the players that they took in the first and second rounds are not toiling with them. And McDonough, I'll submit to you, has been a real solid player in his career, AJ. He's captain material uh, in my estimation. And uh, 299 points just tells part of the story. This guy is a superb defensive defenseman, so really happy to solidify my back end by getting him to round up my top pairing. Well, I'm going to go from there and, and go with Jake Muzzin, who, uh, you know, it hurts my soul when I see this, that he was drafted in the fifth round by the Pittsburgh Penguins, because I would love to have Jake Muzzin on our team. Um, 
you know, has played uh, some some quality time in, in with the the Kings, and now you get to see him up close uh, with Toronto. And uh, you know, his offensive numbers aren't outstanding, but he's certainly a guy capable of contributing on on a consistent basis. And uh, this is a pick that I'm making as much with my heart as my head, AJ. He was picked second overall in the draft by the Philadelphia Flyers and uh, really a power play specialist when he was with the Maple Leafs and the Flyers so far in his career. He's not so great uh, in five-on-five, five five, and his minutes have been reduced in recent years because of that. But I'm happy to have JVR, James Van Riemsdyk, on my roster as another wing position is filled uh, in my, my forward ranks. I'll go back to the blue line again, and, and uh, I'm going to go with Alec Martinez, uh, a, another capable um, offensive contributor. Not, you know, obviously not every single night, um, but you know these guys played together in Los Angeles, and I'm I'd be happy to have them playing together for for my team as well here. And uh, that means I've got two picks to go, so I'm going to punt the goalie position for another choice, and uh, I'm going to take Nick Bonino as my uh, my final forward pick I'll say here he's been a capable defensive specialist and a guy who fills in admirably when top six forwards have been missing so far in his career he's done that very admirably to the tune of 282 points in 626 games and I know you have a lot of a lot of time for him so I feel like I stole one from you a little bit, but I'm happy to take uh, one of the other pieces of what uh, they call the HBK line in, in Pittsburgh, and that's Carl Hagelin. The speedster went in the sixth round to the New York Rangers, 101 goals, 165 assists, and really uh, you know, may be starting to lose a step a little bit at this point in his career, but that still makes him faster than most of the rest of the league. Just such a great skater and really a hardworking guy that's great to have on your team. And just because I have to have a placeholder, I'm going to take Jeremy Smith in the nets. I know that you beat me in the, in the goaltending situation, and I knew that was a risk in this draft, but I think I, I did well enough on the forwards and defense that I really consider going with an empty net for much of, much of any competition if we ever have one. Well, I'm I'm struggling on who to who to pick here to to round out the group, um, but I'll go with uh, I'll go with an extra center here, and I'll go with Lars Eller, uh, 754 games, 132 goals, and in a capable, uh, you know, could obviously uh, switch him out for Kyle Turris if I wanted on on a nightly basis. So another another good uh, quality forward player. There we are, AJ. Well, this to me, I enjoyed going back in time for these drafts, and it's it's really barroom stuff that uh, what we're into now when we're talking about redrafting prior years. And uh, I know when I go out with my buddies, we we all have uh, a good memory of a lot of NHL drafts, and uh, we start to throw around names and thinking, boy, what if the Leafs pick this guy instead of that guy? And you can you can drive yourself silly as a fan of of uh, your own clubs uh, any draft year. It seems with with the fact that uh, there are players that are drafted later in rounds that turn out to be better players than some of the players er- that are drafted earlier on by our favorite teams. And so that's why it's kind of been fun for me to go through this exercise. And we're going to continue to go back in time uh, for a couple more weeks before we focus on the upcoming playoffs that we hope will be played at the NHL level, AJ. But uh, any closing thoughts for you before we sign off this week? Well, I was just going to add to your point about, you know, it. you have first rounders who, you know, you would hope would be kind of sure things either way. But there's eight guys uh, in this first round who played 20 or fewer games, a handful who never even made it to the NHL. 
And so it really kind of shows you, um, you know, how kind of finicky things can be. And then you have a guy uh, taken in the seventh round, almost at the very end in Justin Braun, who has played 669 games and has had a very capable um, NHL career. And so it really, you know, there's no guarantees in the NHL, even with first rounders. And to that point, we've even seen free agents at the end of drafts make it into the NHL. Tyler Bozak, for me, one of the signature players in that regard. So every pick and every bit of research matters and uh, that's why we encourage our listeners to stay to our, in our, on our show as regular listeners because we, we talk about players and situations that I don't think I hear about anywhere else AJ so that's a bit of a pat on the back for me and you that I, like, I would like to advertise at this point as well and a fine place for us to stop that wraps up this episode of the podcast with Statsman and AJ our next episode is tentatively scheduled to take place next week, the 23rd of June. Uh, please remember your, to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 